Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of joys, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy Hello, everybody. Laura Jean is in for a conversation today. Uh, a dietitian by trade, a human by heart, and uh, the facilitator, can we say, at Dietitian Values. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Kathy. I'm really uh, looking forward to chatting. So, when people ask you, what do you do? How do you reply on that? We're all looking for clues. Yeah, I, I probably my most common thing is I would say what I do is I bridge the gap for health professionals between um, bringing the the values that they practice in as a clinician into how they do business. Mm. So tell us tell us about your your clinical career first because there's always nearly always good alignment with how you practiced as a clinician and what the next stage looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been working, well, have been a dietitian for just shy of 20 years. And this December will be like my 20 year anniversary Ooh. of my very first job, you know, straight out, fresh out of uni before I um, I had to send the last assignment off um, when I'd already started, started work. So it, that was back in the days where you could kind of like walk out of a uni degree and pretty much into a job. I know it's a lot different these days, so I don't mean to make anyone feel jealous nor nostalgic. Um, and so, yeah, so I've done a bit of a bit of a mix. So worked for public health system for outpatient, you know, clinical community based stuff, primary prevention. I've done that across two states in the ACT and in South Australia. Um, I started my first business very fresh out of uni, like you know, three years, four years out. I always knew I wanted to do my own kind of business. Really? I love the entrepreneur. Yeah, I actually, in my, I did um, my degree in Wagga, um, Wagga Wagga, and mm. it was the first year that degree was offered there. And so the, you know, the course wasn't full of all the subjects. They didn't have all the options. And so we got to do electives. And so I did marketing um, and business management electives wow. um, back at uni because it was always where I wanted to go eventually with my career to do my own thing. Um, I started out actually wanting to be a chef, like not to take us on a full trip down memory lane, but um, so my love of food was always there. So I wanted to build my own business and incorporate that in with cooking and and things like that, which I have done over my career um, and in, in through my businesses. So yeah, I started private practice pretty early um, and did a mix of that and um, working. I was the dietitian for defense in Canberra. Um, so I was contracted out to defense. So that was something a little bit different, which was pretty fun. Um, I've worked in health promotion for nonprofits and um, yeah, primary prevention. I moved to, when I moved to South Australia, they were in the middle of setting up the GP super clinics to like stretch our mind back a good few years, over 10 years now. And um, so I was involved with setting those, uh, setting up the dietetic service in one of those over there. Um, yeah, uh, worked at, at through universities, um, 
as well, doing tutoring and like guest lecturing and things like that. So I was media spokesperson in there at one point for my professional organization. So I've given everything a go, Kathy. I like to uh, to kind of just... There's not a door you have not walked through. Well, I haven't worked in acute clinical in the hospital because I very quickly realized that wasn't wasn't for me. But um, yeah, yeah, but pretty much tried everything else out. Yeah. What was it about business that you thought you'd like? I think it was the possibilities. Um, I like to dream into things and doing things differently and always have like um, through my whole life, you could say I was a bit different. Perhaps, um, you know, that would be the kind way of saying I was a little weirdo (laughs) as a kid. I like to do things differently. And um, yeah, because I just had such a love of food, I, I just had this dream that I wanted to incorporate the dietetics and the cooking side of things. And I kind of, for whatever reason, I just kind of knew that would be would be doing my own thing. I, yeah, I don't really even know where it came from, but I just just had this kind of drive for it. It's what interested me. When I think back on my DNA, um, there's uh, people in my lineage that were um, storeholders and shopkeepers and merchants and bakers and uh, some of my early family came out with the gold rush, not to mine gold, but to supply and mm. to feed and to take care um, of people. Clothe, yeah, clothe the uh, the miners. Um, and as a kid, you know, I was the one that loved a loved a, a little shop at the front gate and <laughs> played shop sort of with uh, with the uh, um, cereal boxes and the and the like and. It wasn't until really quite recently someone was quizzing me about this that I actually joined all those dots together, that there was a really strong medical piece, but there was a really strong, essentially a merchant kind of mm. piece as well. Totally I love fascinating. That. I love it. Yeah, we used to pull all the packets probably much to my mum's um, behest out of the cupboard and play shops. I mm. did always want the old, like, you know, I'd read like the babysitter club books when I was little and I was thought, wow, how cool would that be? But I lived in like a tiny town like 1,200 people, so I, I the lemonade stand wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked <laughs> very well. Um, but I always remember reading like American, like those those kids' books where they always did little things like that, and, and it always stood out to me. So I think, yeah, I had that kind of thing going through. Yeah, one of my grandparents was like a market gardener and, um, you know, had his own kind of thing. And, yeah, several of my grandparents and, and great-grandparents have always done a lot of farming, but um, like so doing your own thing through that. So I suppose it's just always something always liked to have that kind of flexibility and while it's a bit of an illusion of course a sense of control over my own kind of schedule and and time yeah yeah whilst you're not doing a whole lot of dietetic work at the moment tell us a bit about your business now and yeah what does it look like now and then I'm kind of keen how to hear about how it's grown into what it looks like now. Yeah. So now I work with dietitians and other health professionals, um, yep, as I said, supporting them to kind of bridge that gap. There's a lot of health professionals find it kind of uncomfortable in the business side of things. Amazing clinicians, excellent clinicians and but the some for some people, just even the thought of doing the businessy stuff, the marketing and all that, you know, gives them a bit of a headache. Um, but also just the ick factor, let's say, that we sometimes see in the business space, particularly in the online space. And so I really am keen to have a conversation and just facilitate holding a space of support for professionals to help professionals to actually see that 
that they can do it their way and they can bring their values, their values as a clinician into that. So that's what I do now. I do that through group programs, um, through one-on-one coaching. And also I do like little guests, pop my head up in other people's memberships, having conversations around marketing, particularly um, trauma-informed business practices and those kind of things. So really uh, doing things differently. And and that the whole key, bringing those clinical values into the business and running things through that same kind of framework and lens that we do when we work as clinicians. So like what what's kind of best practice here that fits around that? So that's kind of what I do at the moment. Um, and I kind of got here because my professional, I kind of didn't get to that bit when I was talking about everything I've done, but towards the, I suppose, probably last 13 years, so most of my professional life, I, I worked in the non-diet space. So health at every size, weight inclusive, um, and probably towards the, you know, the end of kind of doing client facing work was, or the, the last iteration, I won't say the end because who knows where, where yeah. these things go, right? Um, you know, really, I suppose, noticing that social justice element, having worked in health promotion and primary prevention, you know, the social determinants of health stuff was always kind of there. Um, and yeah, so my values really is what was really strong for me. And I always was able to find, because I did a little bit of online business and my own private practice, you know, in my, in my client facing work. Um, and I was able to just, I suppose, filter through all of the things I was learning through my own values, take what I needed and leave what I do- didn't need. Um, but I realized that didn't necessarily come easily to everyone else as much. And so some people would kind of, you know, bury their head in the sand, like I can't do that marketing thing. Or some people kind of, you know, feeling uncomfortable giving things a try, but like, and then what we often see is then the clinician blaming themselves. I'm no good at marketing. You know, I'm no good at running a business when it's what I sort of saw was really, it's about finding a fit um, as health professionals in the business world. And um, I think we can do that with our same kind of, you know, health professional values. And so, Mm. yeah, that's kind of what, you know, brought me along to where I am. The word values has come up, I don't know, 20 times already. (laughs) You describe what values are because there's a lot of versions of it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm really big on um, reclaiming words and and defining words through our own values and in a way that makes sense for us. So I've actually redefined values. So the dictionary will tell us that they're standards or principles of behaviour. And while part of that is fine. I feel like the words like standards and principles have kind of been co-opted a little bit with our cultural values and they mean, you know, there can be kind of like a bit of a hierarchical piece coming in there and like it almost also gives the feeling like values are a monolith, like that there's kind of like a right set of values to have and maybe maybe not some other ones. Um, whereas I really hold that values are person-specific. Um, and so my definition of values are simply the characteristics that underlie our attempts to get our needs met. So pretty much the why behind what we do what when we take action, whether it might be, you know, our daily small micro moments or the big picture moments. Um, and... Yeah, that's that's how I define values. And I have a few things I hold a little bit differently around values. So one of the things is that I hold that values are verbs rather than nouns. They're things we do, things we act into. You know, we've all probably worked for organisations where the values were words on a glossy brochure, right? The values were on a website. And not only were we not supported to turn those values towards the clients we worked with, but the organization didn't necessarily turn those values towards us, their staff. So we've all been in those situations where values are just words and lip speak. And so I'm really passionate about creating space for values to be verbs, things we act into. 
and at the same time for them to be aspirational. We don't need to be perfect and we don't need to hold that. We can be acting into our values while maybe by re- but knowing that it's there's no end point. It's not a there's no end goal. It's something we're always aspiring to do. Um, I was going to ask you exactly that. What are your thoughts when you go to a website and you see five values across the bottom? I could almost name the ones that we would typically see. Do you know hmm. the words I'm talking about? Absolutely. And they're, they're just there as a word and yeah. you can't click them. You don't know what they mean. You don't know what they look like in behavioural terms, that you don't know what they look like on a good day or a bad day or at the annual conference or anything. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And like I said, we've all been part of those organisations, right? We could probably all reel them off. In fact, I was actually having a conversation with my niece on the weekend. My my seven-year-old kiddo, I'm nearly seven-year-old, she got an award at school, you know, for living into the school values. And my niece goes, oh, are these the values? And my sister goes, how do you know? Have you had a conversation? And she's like, no, all schools have pretty much the same values. Like, you know, it's those things we see trotted out. Um, and so look, honestly, that probably doesn't really help anyone. Like when we, when we do, when we just have these values that are lip speak, it creates a disconnect, disconnect for the staff in an organization, a disconnect for the humans that are interacting with that organization. Um, and we end up kind of getting disenchanted and getting, um, I think that's why we see a lot of clinicians leaving health because there's a lot of lip speak put to values and not a lot of values embedded in our systems and embedded in the organisations. And as and particularly, even if some organisations do really well at turning them towards the clients, the patients, often the staff aren't, you know, they're not yeah. turned towards the staff. And I see it as one of the contributors to burnout, which we know is huge in the health professions um, because, we are in spaces where values are not being adhered to. Also, we're really trained and socialised, even culturally, as health professionals, not to turn our values towards ourselves, right? Our values are for everyone else, um, and we often don't turn them towards ourselves. And generally, we have people, yeah, um, not showing up in the way they want to or not feeling like they can, feeling burnt out, and really feeling a big disconnect. That's probably the best word that I that I kind of feel like really encapsulate. It's where like, here are the values here, here are the actions. And whether you're feeling disconnect because your actions don't match or whether you're feeling the disconnect because you're looking at an organization or looking at a place and it's like, here are your values and here's your behavior. And there's just, yeah, there's a disconnect. Then on the flip side, there are organisations, small, medium and large, probably even smaller ones, to be honest, that have taken their time to wrangle the values because it mm. needs some robust discussion. And they've they've taken the time. I know how long it took us and we're not done yet. Like We're still not done. Um, and there are very clear values that are there as a statement of aspiration, but then a description of what it looks like on the ground. And then they're in contracts and they're through position descriptions and they're agendaed on every meeting and so on and so forth. You can just see how that lovely osmotic effect just shows up right across and the values are part of business as usual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's exciting. 
Yeah, and and values. I often talk about it. Values as a business tool. They're a tool in our business, like in our life as well. Um, but our, our business is again a tool, a way we sh- we you know live into our into our lives. Um, it's nested inside that. But yeah, the values when they can be embedded in the organisation from, like you say, from yes, absolutely, still have them on your website, but in decision making, in recruitment, in all those kind of spaces, then they're actually part of how the organization shows up or even if you're a solopreneur when you've got them and when they're not just you know stuck in the bottom of the drawer somewhere but they're there visible you use them as a framework to filter things through to make decisions um, ways to move forward then you're actually showing up in those values and I find values-based action statements are super helpful for this as well. Yeah. So taking that word that we have so maybe it is respect one of those ones we see kind of quite commonly mm-hmm. But really defining what does it look like for me to show up with respect for myself, for the humans I want to share my work with, for my business? What does it look like if my business is a symbol of my respect, you know, as it collaborates, as it is visible on social media, as it is, you know, um, you know, whether it be, you know, making choices around the spaces where you put your attention and put your time, um, but all of those spaces. But when you've got those action statements, you can actually Around, like you can come back to that rather than like just this vague kind of word. Um, and the other beauty of creating those kind of action statements is you can define those words for your values because a lot of words are defined by the cultural values. You know, we're part of cultures, yeah. we're part of professions, we're part of, you know, we've got family of origin values. There's all these layers, you know, that kind of go over top of us and our values. And reclaiming that and defining things and, and creating action statements, I think is a really helpful thing. So if anyone is finding it hard or wanting to go deeper on values, yeah, taking them beyond those single words and turning them into statements and and thinking about what's it look like when I show up in that value outwardly, yes, but also inwardly because values are multidirectional. Yeah. I found the very end part of Simon Sinek's book, Workbook, Discover Your Why. And there's mm. literally only a page or two on this on how to write those behavioural-based values. And every time I go back to the book, I just hope there's like a whole chapter I've never discovered. <laughs> but um, clearly he could write another book on that. But I found that resource really, really um, interesting because um, it can be quite hard to fossick around and find some, not examples because that's just a different problem, just some recipes, if you like, for how yeah. to. Yeah, just a, la- a launching off point, I think, yeah. because like all of our processes are different, but just like that place. And so if I could offer, I mean, one piece about that too is, is it's never ending. You know, that process is never ending. Yeah. I still am always tweaking the words in my values and rechecking them. And I do really encourage people to revisit their values every year or two. And particularly if you've had big shifts or changes in your life or in what you've been learning and unlearning, um, that we revisit our values because values will change. And also values will, you know, it's not an end goal, no end point. So there will always be things you can adjust and ways that you, as you, because as you act into your values, you actually get clearer on what it looks like to act into your values. And therefore those statements can become more concise and more um, representative of your values. So, but, you know, to have somewhere to start with what I tend to recommend, everyone's probably done one of those values exercises, you know, with all the words, they're often a good place to start. Mm, yeah. 
But then we often feel overwhelmed because it's like write down five, you know, there's a list of like 50 words. Yeah. It's like choose Renee five. Brown's got that chapter, doesn't yeah. she, with all those pages. And yeah, yeah. You start to wonder about your knowledge of vocabulary. Do I actually know the difference between that and that? <laughs> I know. And you're like, how can I do that? So I generally say to people, like, go through and write all the words that really resonate for you, like how you want to show up. And then group them into categories that make sense for you. Like what are the words that connect? And then from those categories, you know, you might have three or four words, like maybe it's like trust, fairness, justice, compassion, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then think and and starting with that whole idea of um, how would I, how do I show up in this word for myself, for others, and for my business? So, so think about it in different settings, because how we talk about what respect means when we work with a client versus how we show it to ourselves, it can show up it can it can highlight for us some disconnects we might have around the words we're using, but also just gives us a clearer picture. Um, so that can be a way to do it. And, and then from those words, looking for what kind of encapsulates that. My other favorite exercise, though, for people really wanting to get clear on some values, action statements, is to write your either your obituary um, mm-hmm. or um, speeches for your 80th birthday from people in significant parts of your life. Like, how do you want them to say you show up? And sometimes in that, it's a really nice way to find words. And the other one I'd give as a, as a suggestion is ask five of your closest friends or five people that know you from different parts of your life and how would they say, how would they describe you? Um, because that can be a really great place to kind of get a bit of a launching point. And then you can start with those and then start acting into those statements and you'll get, you'll, you know, over time get more words and more clarity on how to refine them. So I think one of the biggest pieces is not feeling like we have to have these perfect statements from the get-go. Um, because it gets us stuck. Um, and also, it, you know, it, it brings online that inner perfectionist <laughs> that wants us not to yeah. take action till we've got it exactly right. So start with one of those kind of ideas, put some words together and start acting into them and then revisit them regularly and yeah. adjust them and tweak them. And, and over time, you get a really clearer, clearer picture. Running a business isn't just about setting up shop and becoming complacent. It's about showing up for ourselves and our clients with a commitment to continuous improvement. We have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and where we're going. That means identifying strengths and weaknesses so we can improve. After all, if we're remaining stagnant, how can we scale and build the business and life of our dreams? That's where the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz comes in. We're not talking horoscopes and pulse hope here. This questionnaire is the perfect starting point for you to begin identifying your strengths, needs, and blind spots as an allied health business owner. The process is simple. Answer the 14 questions and we'll send you a personalized report that includes actionable steps for you to start taking your business to the next level. Ready to take your business into your own hands? Take the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz today. If we think about values from a, a business lens, so business values or um, team values, do you think they're measurable? I think they can be, absolutely. And I would just say, why? Why do we want to measure them? What are we after? What's the, um, I suppose, outcome? The thing that I sort of find with both values, business and life is that, and just culturally, we're really focused on kind of like outcomes and outputs, um, where the part where we have an agency of influence is the process. And I think I think we can measure them and I think it can be helpful. But where I would suggest is we measure the process. We measure how we feel, how, you know, how connected we feel to the values. 
how much of a match our staff are to our values, how much of a match the humans that are wanting to work with us who would call our clients, like are we getting really good fit clients? Because if we are, that's a really good measure that we're putting our values out there. If we continue to get clients that are just like not quite right for us, Mm -hmm. it might be that. So absolutely, I think they can be measurable. I think we get much more meaningful information by measuring them in the process sense as opposed to the outcomes and the outputs. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 So you mentioned before we hit record that your clientele are global and you work with um clients based here in Australia, but also clients mainly in the US, I think you you said. What could you tell us about how allied health professionals approach business across these two these two um geographical places yeah I feel like um what I what I've noticed you know and even for myself as I sort of started dipping my own toe into the business kind of entrepreneur world I think the U.S. is probably just a little bit further down the track a little bit Mm -hmm. um as far as like private practice because their health system so privatized private practice and and business is just a very standard thing There's, there's probably more health professionals in in pri- in the private space than in the public space. And I feel like Australia is starting to shift into that for better or worse. Um, and, and and not as an individual, but just like at the health system is the worst piece. I think it's great. I actually encourage any health professional to go out and do their own thing because you have much more value-based um, autonomy over what you're up to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's that, but I think that we're all grappling with the same staff, even though from a like structural system point of view, they're probably ahead, like just that it's more common, there's more support in place, there's more, you know, coaches around, there's more of that kind of stuff. But I think as far as what's going on, I think everyone's grappling with the same kind of thing, that feeling of like, particularly at the moment, like in the in the current kind of cultural social climate, like that feeling of burnout and overwhelm as we kind of boomerang back from the pandemic. Um, I, I, yeah, the, the themes, the human themes are universal. The system-based stuff's a bit different, but the human themes are, are universal. And what do you see as those human themes? Mm, I think um, not to not to be on the negative side of it, but I feel like what is coming up a lot is that kind of overwhelm and burnout piece. Maybe it's not quite burnout, but I feel fatigue. like that, yeah, fatigue. That's that is a really good one. I feel like there's that the the couple of years of the pandemic, as as awful and as terrible as a lot of um, the situations were, and the outcomes personally, professionally, you know, have been for people. There was an opportunity for some people to really pause and to really reconsider things, to slow down, you know, because we were in those positions where we had to slow down. Mm-hmm. And now life's kind of picking back up again, and I feel like it's like there's a potential for a tipping point for people to really see, do I want to go back? Do I want to go back to that? How much of the old normal do I want? Yeah. And I think as we're getting pulled along in that old normal, we're feeling really tired. I feel like that fatigue's a great word and and overwhelm, like, because it's even just that it's just so much now for us because we had that period where it wasn't, where where we weren't as bombarded. So that's kind of what I'm noticing from that point of view. But also um, I'm really noticing people are just have a bit of a might it's not I wouldn't call it quite a thirst yet but maybe just like an inkling maybe like a little like that disconnect that little yeah that little like yeah curiosity is a good word for it like just kind of like what what could be and and starting to think about the possibilities maybe just starting to question that little curious question of huh maybe I could do something differently maybe I could 
And for some people where it's just like, this is just untenable, you know, it's untenable for me to go back to that. And, and I think, and I, I'm, I find that really hopeful. Yeah, that's right. It's that thing about staying curious and I'm sort of seeing it a little shining light in startups. You know, we've Mm. seen a lot of startups in the last, what are we up to seven months, eight months? more so than in any other phase that I can recall. But I think those that are also in business and in established businesses are also sort of thinking, well, what do we need to do differently? You know, what do we want to do more of? What do we want to do less of? And really kind of shaking the cage as business as normal. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I think... Whilst those two perspectives might feel very disconnected, they're kind of not because mm-hmm. people are just kind of, yeah, maybe questioning it. how will work fit my lifestyle, how will lifestyle fit my work, what sort of work style do I want, whether I'm starting up or I've got a team of 20. Um, I've got some questions and there's some change. Might not know how to achieve the change and that's when, you know, a lot of people come to us and start asking questions. I think I want this in the next 18 months. How can you help me with that? And I said, well, you know, future's blurry. Let's kind of create it a little and get a map happening. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's that people just getting curious. And and the further we go into the year, people getting ready to take action on that. Like I felt, and I don't know if you felt this, but in the first couple of months of the year, it was almost like a stasis, like a bit of a like, you know, bunny in the headlights, like things feel uncomfortable and I'm curious, but not ready to kind of take action and move forward. And I think as the as the year goes on and as we see that, yeah, things are going to be, unless we do do things differently, unless we make that choice and we decide, we will get pulled back into that business as normal, business as usual that we were in, you know, three, which feels like about 20, but three years oh, ago. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and it gives us that, yeah, I mean, where we can, and there is a lot of privilege involved, privilege involved in that. But I think there's that opportunity for us to make different choices if we want to, and if we're ready for it. Um, and I think, like culturally around us, there's that real swirl. People are really conscious of that things kind of can't be sustained as they are from an environmental point of view, from from health, from our health point of view, from just the awareness that we've all been. I think that the pandemic really opened, even though we know a lot about those kind of disparities in health and the oppressive kind of factors, it really it couldn't look away from that. You couldn't pretend it wasn't there. So I feel like all of that stuff swirling around in the background um, and it's just creating that opportunity and possibilities for people to choose to do things differently and perhaps even getting us to that uncomfortable rub point where there really doesn't feel like there's a choice anymore, where doing differently is the only palatable option. Yeah, yeah, and digging for the courage to kind of yeah start to start to start. Yeah, and I think it gets to a point sometimes too where it's like there is a lot of courage needed, and it it outweighs the discomfort um, that that is there, um, and it's completely you know tips us over from the discomfort that would be existing by staying the same or by continuing to support that way of being that we know is not sustainable and definitely not regenerative. Certainly here in Australia, there's a background context to this. I want it to look different. I'm digging in for courage, but the bigger context, I guess, 
are the funding schemes and in particular NDIS. So we're recording this. Yes, we're both making faces, um, gritting our teeth. We're recording this in May and everyone is waiting for the price guide. Like everyone feels as though their future is dependent on it. Well, no, I won't say everybody. There's a lot of people who are very strategically mitigating those risks and we're delighted to be supporting with them, them with that. But, you know, this is, I think, where we get a little bit of a um, a point of difference between being a business owner and being an entrepreneur. Like, do you get what I kind of mean on that? Like, you can either kind of say, oh, well, our next season will be dictated by this and that or the other. Mm. Or you can sort of say, hell yeah, let's just kind of, you know, throw it yeah. all to the wall and diversify this and divest that and invest here and whatever it is. Um, Absolutely. I think we can either choose to wait and respond or we can create, carve out and cultivate our own way of going forward. And the thing is, is that we are trained very much as health professionals to to wait and to kind of respond um, or or to react even. I think it's react versus proact. Yeah. And I think I used the word regenerative before and and that's something that I'm really playing around with or toying around with and holding. I'm I'm a very avid gardener. Um, And so a lot of like permaculture and regenerative gardening principles come into my work and, and how I view the business space and the things happening in there. And the thing is that if we, yeah, if we're waiting to, if we want things to be different, we we can either react when, because things are going to change, right? Things are going to be different and we can either react to what happens or we can generate it ourselves and create businesses and entrepreneurial journeys that are regenerative in that it's a constant process of generating the changes and generating them independent, not independent as far as like, um, you know, completely boring. Yeah, no context. But no, and this is where values come in. When you know your values, you're generating to move yourself towards a business or an entrepreneurial journey that takes you towards your values. And yes, it responds to those external things, but it's not waiting to be moved and pushed and shaped by those external things. You're carving and cultivating your own space, your own ecosystem. And there's the opportunity for that ecosystem to respond to what's happening around it. But the ecosystem exists, you know, if you think about a garden, you know, the ecosystem, you're cultivating that regardless. Yes, you, you're you watching out for the frost and the and the rain. When's it going to rain? Do I need to water? Those kind of things. But you are moving forward with your decisions and actions that generate what you want to see in the world, what you believe is possible, what you want to work towards. Um even if we are, which is one of my favourite quotes, even if we're planting seeds for a forest we may never get to spend time in, we're working towards what what we what we hope is a possibility and really where we're, where our values say that we, we have to go, you know, moving towards our values is once you're really clear on your values, they, they become a really clear path forward. Um, yeah. 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 So... We're uh, seeing and really excited to support uh, some business owners that are very values-driven, but they're looking at creating um, other businesses that are aligned with but different from the original business of providing therapy services. Mm. And uh, this is really, really, really interesting and back to owning the process. So, it's uh, it's wonderful kind of coaching with them and um, about the process of, well, what if and what could you do and why wouldn't you and just that curiosity piece of uh, starting up a whole new business 
that's similar but really quite different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from time to time we get asked, how do I future-proof my lifestyle? How do I create intergenerational wealth? How do I um, leverage what I know and help more people? Like there's so many motivators for this. Um, And this is really, really interesting to see allied health professionals outrunning other businesses where the skill set completely makes sense in my mind, but it might not from from the outside as well. So very exciting. I, 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 I think this has come out of, you know, anxiety and growth mindset and just that that DNA even. But um, I think we're going to see this in the next five. I really, we're already seeing it. Um, I can't name anybody, but uh, I think this is going to be a thing in the short term. Oh, it's so great though, too, because for a lot of us, we moved out of the the you know system status quo business as usual model because yeah. we wanted to be something differently, and then often we just fall into these kind of like almost being our own boss and replicating these systems, inadvertently replicating the same kind of way of doing things outside of yep. that. Yeah. Um, and so some, like I was saying before, sometimes it takes that kind of rub or that really discomfort point that actually makes us really dig into what is different for us, and I think. Yeah, I mean, if if people are, are feeling uncertain and wondering those questions, I mean, the only way that you can really future-proof things is by making the choices that take you where you want to go. I mean, we can't really, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen, but playing it, quote-unquote, safe as far as what the system wants us to do. Or, and I, I refer to the system, but I just sort of, you know, mean the, the processes yeah, yeah. and the structures apart. It's not like some nefarious monolith over our shoulder, mm-hmm. but um, that there is no safe, right? There is no safety. It's all a bit of an illusion. So why not? Like what I always think like, and I used to say this to my clients, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. What happens if you don't? Exactly. Exactly. We often worry so much about what happens if we do, but yeah, what if, what happens if we don't? Um, There's this, um, there's this line in a book, it's a Rosie Revere engineer, it's Kido's book. Um, And it's this little girl who wants to make, um, you know, inventions. And she said, but what if I, what if I can't fly? Like, what if I crash because she's trying to make this helicopter? And then her auntie's like, um, you know, but what if you do? Mm. Which, you know, I mean, there's plenty of quotes around that, but that one always sticks with me. But I think that that opportunity to do things differently because the the reality is we don't know what's going to happen, right? And, mm. and, and taking, generating and making that decision of what will actually move us towards our values and our values-driven life, whatever that looks like. And at the end of the day, the one thing that we can have the most agency overall, the most kind of future-proofing over is how we take care of ourselves regardless of the outcome. And I think with our businesses and setting up our businesses to be different, to be diversified, whether that's in, you know, service delivery or in like, you know, the the different kind of income streams, whatever it might be, is one of the best ways we can take care of ourselves financially. Um, And then, you know, how do we take care of ourselves by creating, you know, good ecosystems um, around us of collaboration, of of support, Um, you know, and and all the things we need to kind of take care of our own little nervous systems within our businesses. Um, But the outcomes will be, and if we go back to that whole process point, the thing that we can can be future-proofing against is how we handle it ourselves, whatever the outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your business going to be uh, up to in the next year or so? Well, uh, trucking along a little bit, I've got one more year of or year and a bit of kiddos of, of still being kiddo at home. I've got a three-year-old who's at home with me all but two days a week. So it's still kind of that kind of very much straddling all of the different worlds. Um, but I think um, 
looking for those opportunities to, I, I said before, I like, I'm like, I really like my gardening and anyone who's into mycorrhizal or the mycelium layer, it's like, it's like the fungal layer between the forest um, and it expands and weaves. And so that's kind of like my, my business um, where my direction is going is just not necessarily to push into places or to grow, grow, grow or scale, 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 but just to expand and weave and to just really start having these conversations in more spaces. Um, because like, as you mentioned, you're having these conversations with some people, but it's not definitely not the, not the, not the big mainstream conversation happening in health around a lot of it is that reactive stuff. Like we said, like, how are we going to survive? How are we going to, you know, what are we going to do when this changes and that happens? And I want to start this conversation or keep having this conversation of what do you choose? What do you decide? And let's go after that. Yeah. And mindful of time, it has raced past, raced past. What's your parting message? What would you like allied health business owners to uh, be thinking about? couple of things um one thing is yeah is is knowing your values you know and using and and knowing that your values can be a really tangible guide in your business not just those words on the on the website like we talked about particularly if you've been in those places or spaces where that is being what values are values are more than that and can be so knowing your values is a really good place to start and really articulating those values action statements so i'd really encourage people to do that um and to just really think about that whole idea of like where do you want to go? Like what, what is, what's your, I mean, the why thing, obviously Simon Sinek sort of talks about that, but what is your why and how do you move towards that? And are you, are you going there? Once you know your values, is the business that you're building, is it actually taking you where you want to go? Because the only sustainable way to run a business is to run your business and to run it through your values. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And to go where you want to go, because if we continue to get swept along, we continue to, you know, set our goals based on what we see, what we should be doing, what other people are doing, then we're going to get other people's goals. We're going to reach other people's idea of what a values-driven, sustainable business looks like, and that isn't necessarily ours. So you can do it differently and you can find it your way. And in fact, it's the only sustainable option. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy, and thanks for everyone who took the time to listen along and spend it with us. Lovely. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.